All right, our sermon text for today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10, verses 1 through 16. Uh, And I remember when I had recently graduated high school uh, in 2010, which probably seems pretty soon to you guys, but seems like an age ago to me. Uh, I had been told that the world was now my oyster. I could be anyone I wanted to be. And I had a newfound sense of freedom. And I had a sweet 1994 Ford Aerostar minivan at my disposal, and I was ready to make a name for myself. I also remember seeing about that time a set of rules that Bill Gates had supposedly shared at a high school graduation speech he gave, where he listed off lessons that you wouldn't learn in high school. And I did my best to take them to heart, and I'll share them with you now. So here are those seven rules that you won't learn in high school. Rule seven, television is not real life. In real life, people actually have to leave the coffee shop and go to jobs. Rule six, life is not divided into semesters, you don't get summers off, and very few employers are interested in helping you find yourself. Do that on your own time. Rule five, if you mess up, it's not your parents' fault, so don't whine about your mistakes, learn from them. Rule four, flipping burgers is not beneath your dignity. Your grandparents had a different word for burger flipping. They called it opportunity. Rule three, if you think your teacher is tough, wait till you get a boss. He doesn't have a tenure. Rule two, be nice to nerds. Chances are you'll end up working for one. This is probably one that he would know, right? And the number one rule you don't learn from high school is this. Life is not fair, so get used to it. It's a pretty good set of rules, if you ask me. Say what you want about Bill Gates, but it's hard to argue with this list. Except, actually, Bill Gates didn't write the list. Now, I'm sure he gave a high school graduation speech a time or two in his day, uh, but this list wasn't his. Uh, This list was actually created by a Dr. Charles Sykes, but it was falsely attributed to Bill Gates, likely thanks to rule number two. And when the truth came out, Sykes was asked how he felt, knowing that so many had wrongly attributed his work to Gates. And his response was perfect. He said, I don't get upset because, hey, life isn't fair. (laughs) So I'm used to it. He remembered rule one. And Dr. Sykes is right. Life isn't fair. And I'm sure you all have examples from your own lives when life wasn't fair to you. I've been pretty blessed in my own life, if I'm being honest, but I can think of instances where life didn't seem fair to me for one reason or another. A pastor by the name of David Dykes once said this in response to the claim that life isn't fair. He said, yeah, life isn't fair, but God is good. And this statement is demonstrated beautifully in our parable this morning, which leads us right into our text, which again is Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. So please stand as you are able for the reading of God's holy word. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, 
and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first shall be last. Let's pray. Lord, you are good, and your mercy endures forever. Thank you for sending your son Jesus, especially to die on the cross for our sins, but also to teach us about salvation and who it's for, and that we cannot earn it by what we do, no matter how great our deeds are in our own eyes. Speak through your text this morning, that it may strengthen us, enlighten us, and encourage us to share your gospel with all people, regardless of the hour. Thank you for loving us equally and for offering your salvation to all. Amen. You may be seated. Now, much of the Old Testament is focused on Israel, God's chosen people. From Abraham being chosen as the father, to Moses leading Israel out of Egypt toward the Promised Land, Joshua finally leading Israel into the Promised Land, David, the man after God's own heart, leading Israel down God's path, Solomon constructing a wonderful temple in which to worship God, and then a checkered history of Israel that included times of prosperity and worship of God and many more times of suffering and exile and turning their backs on God. Yet when Jesus is born, things change just a little bit. Jesus looked around and he saw the Gentiles, or everyone who wasn't a Jew, standing around idle, without a calling, without a purpose. Much of Jesus' ministry and the ministry we read about in the epistles was focused on the salvation of Gentiles as well as Jews. God's word and God's love was for all of his children, not just those who had a specific bloodline. And even though God had prospered, been patient with, and guided Israel nearly exclusively up to this point, the salvation he offered was for all. Now, this didn't sit particularly well with the Jews, especially those who held power in the temple. If you recall in Luke 4, when teaching in the temple in Nazareth, Jesus subtly made the case for including the Gentiles into the Messiah's salvation, which enraged all the Jews in the synagogue to the point where they tried to throw Jesus off of a cliff. You see, the Jews felt self-righteous in their faith. There was an understanding that, that faith was exclusive to the descendants of Israel, that since God had initially picked Israel to be his chosen people, they were the only ones able to inherit the kingdom of God. 
And since their fathers and their forefathers had worshipped God uh, to varying degrees and patience, as we read in Exodus 17 this morning, offering the Gentile salvation now simply didn't seem fair. They hadn't been subjected to the Mosaic law these years. They hadn't been honoring the Sabbath or bringing sacrifices to the altar. They had been standing idly as the Jews did these things. So how is it fair that they now get to reap God's rewards? This is the same frustration we see in our parable. Many of the laborers working in the field had been out there for 12 hours. They had woken up early. They'd grabbed their tools. They'd waited for the master to hire them to work. They had toiled all morning, afternoon, and into the evening with sore backs and sweaty brows, earning their day's wages. Throughout the day, they watched as other groups of workers filed into the vineyard to work alongside them, some showing up at 9 o'clock, more again at noon, still more at 3 o'clock, and they must have been surprised to see another crew of laborers enter the vineyard at 5 o'clock, an hour before quitting time. That's not even enough work to put food on the table for supper. Now imagine the intrigue when they line up at 6 o'clock to receive the pay for their labor. And they see that those who showed up last received a full day's wages for their work. The first group, who had agreed to work for a denarius, had done 12 times as much work as these guys. Would they then receive 12 denarius for their shift? Well, they didn't, and they sure were disappointed by that. They grumbled and they complained. It wasn't fair. These workers only worked an hour. Surely they shouldn't receive the same reward as those who had worked so much longer. But here's the thing about God's rewards. Nobody's earned them. Well, nobody except Jesus, of course. Nobody can do anything to earn them. The reward of God's grace given through Christ is a reward freely given by a sovereign God who is able to give it to whomever he pleases, Jew and Gentile alike, which is certainly fortunate for us since I don't believe any of us are pure descendants of Israel. God has chosen to extend his gift to everyone who believes, just as the prophets spoke of, Jesus taught, and the apostles expanded upon. Grace is offered to all. It doesn't matter if you grew up in the church or grew up avoiding church at all costs. It doesn't matter if you've read the Bible cover to cover a hundred times and if you've taken every word to heart or if you've yet to open a Bible in your life. God has extended his offer to enter the vineyard, even to the 11th hour as we read today in the Gospel of Matthew, which means, brothers and sisters, that no matter where you are in life today, Regardless of whether you've been toiling in the field since sunrise, as did the first crew hired by the master of the field, or you slept in a little bit and rolled into work at 10 o'clock, or you watched the other laborers work until the afternoon before grabbing your shovel and joining in, God even offers his grace to those who have spent their entire lives doing their own thing until the final hour. Scripture tells us so. Remember, when Jesus was crucified, there were two criminals crucified with him. And one of the thieves next to him, who admitted that he was receiving the punishment that he deserved, looked at Jesus and said, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And how did Jesus respond? Did he say, It's too late, brother. Sorry. 
Now, as we read in Luke 23, Jesus said, Truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. What an encouraging message. There's a story told by a pastor from Indiana named Jeff Stratton. Uh, one day he was called to visit a 93-year-old man who was in the hospital, had terminal cancer. Now this man had been a hard-living, hard-drinking union worker for most of his life. He had lived his life apart from God, seeking his own earthly benefit and ignoring God throughout his life. So on the surface, there didn't seem to be much hope going into this visitation. But two minutes into their first conversation, that man asked Pastor Jeff, is it fair for someone to live his whole life one way and at the end of their life ask God to take them to heaven? Difficult question. And Jeff took a moment to consider an answer. Finally, he responded by saying, no, it's not fair. But luckily for you and me, God is not fair. Pastor Jeff then walked through the plan of salvation, and when he had finished, this 93-year-old man bowed his head and asked Jesus to come into his heart. Four weeks later, Jeff preached at this man's funeral and talked about how some football games come down to the final play. The team that's behind might have been outplayed the entire game, but on the last play, quarterback could drop back and heave a Hail Mary pass into the end zone right as time expires. And maybe that quarterback gets absolutely buried by a defensive end right as he releases the ball. That ball might be batted around in the air in the end zone, but if an offensive player catches it, the game is over. And regardless how the first 59 minutes and 59 seconds went, they win the game. And that's what happened for the man in Pastor Jeff's story. The devil was in the lead for most of his life. But at the end of the game, the scoreboard read, Jesus won, Satan zero. And that's the opportunity given to every one of God's treasured creations. That's the opportunity for us. Now I know that many of you in here today have been laboring in the field since the day started. Many of you probably identify with the first group of laborers in the story but let's look at it from the opposite perspective. Let me tell you a story, a story about Andrew and Erica. It was getting dark, and Erica was getting nervous. She had a knot in her stomach as she vacuumed the floor for the second day in a row. And quietly, she prayed, Lord, where is Andrew? He should be here by now. It's late, and I know he didn't find work today. I went to the hardware store this afternoon and he was still standing there with a few other men waiting. Where is he? Is he all right? Or is he just ashamed to come home empty-handed again? Please, Lord, bring him home. At that very moment, her four-year-old daughter, Hazel, tugs at the hem of her skirt. Mommy, where is Daddy? I'm hungry. Are we having dinner tonight? Before Erica can come up with a response, Andrew walks in the door with a huge smile on his face and bags of food in his arms. Erica, Hazel, set the table. I have spaghetti and meatballs. I have garlic bread. I have some smoked cheese for an appetizer, and I even have cupcakes for dessert. Hazel cheers and runs to the kitchen. 
to grab the plates and silverware. Erica stares at her husband, mouth agape. But, but Andrew, where did you get all this? At 4 o'clock this afternoon, I saw you standing outside the hardware store with those other men. And I knew you hadn't worked all day. What, what happened? Andrew embraces his wife and kissed her forehead. Erica, praise God, the most amazing thing happened to me this afternoon. I was standing there thinking it would be another day without work and another night without food. I was so disappointed to let you and Hazel down again. And I dreaded the thought of coming home and having to tell you there would be nothing to eat. But at 5 o'clock, Mr. Johnson, the owner of the vineyard on the edge of town, showed up and said, why aren't you guys working? When we told him that nobody had hired us, he said, well, I'll hire you. Come on, hop in the truck and you can go work in my vineyard. I knew since it was late in the day, I would only earn a few bucks, but I figured it was better than nothing. And maybe I could afford some canned soup on the way home. When we got there, there were lots of men already working. I could tell many of them had been there all day and they looked tired and they smelled and they were dusty. And I only worked an hour before Mr. Johnson sounded the bell to let us all know we were done for the day. I had been working in the vines closest to the gate, and he called us forward first in line to be paid. And can you believe it? I held out my hand, and he gave me a hundred bucks, a full day's wages. And I thought it must have been a mistake, so I reminded him that I had only worked for an hour. And he just smiled, and he shrugged his shoulders. It's my money, and I can do what I want with it. I have plenty to give, so just take it. I stuck around for a while, and I saw that the guys who had been there all day also received a hundred bucks. They griped about it at first, but after the holding the money for a minute, they were just glad to be paid too. I was so happy I went straight to the market and bought all this food. I can't wait to eat. Let's pray and dig in. Erica dished the food up on the table, and as she did, she noticed that the cheese had already been opened, as had the noodles. And there was a hunk of bread missing as well. She smiled. Joseph, did you get hungry on the way home or something? Or Andrew, did you get hungry on the way home or something? Why is there food missing? Andrew smiled sheepishly and hung his head. I didn't think you'd notice, he said. I know I should have asked you first, but on the way home, I passed by Judy's house. Remember, her husband passed away earlier this year. I knew she didn't have food, so I stopped by and gave her some. I figured we could spare it. I'm sorry. I hope you don't mind. Erica, wiping a tear from her eye, replied, Of course I don't mind. Now let's give thanks and eat supper. And this is the application of this parable. God has been generous with all workers in the field. Those who have been there since sunrise and those who showed up at the 11th hour Everyone who enters the vineyard has been blessed with an opportunity to work alongside Christ and will receive the reward when the sun sets and that final day comes. And because God has been unreasonably generous to all of us, we have been blessed with the opportunity to give generously as well, sharing God's gifts to us and letting them know that there is a vineyard out on the edge of town and the owner is always hiring offering a generous reward to everyone who finishes the day in his field.
which certainly isn't fair. But thankfully, God isn't fair. Instead, God is good, and his grace is offered to all of us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word to us this morning. Thank you for your gift of grace. Thank you for seeking us out to work in your vineyard with the promise of indescribable reward at the end of the day. May we be reminded of your gift to us. May we continue to work hard even when the sun gets hot and our backs get tired. And may we share your grace with others so that when that final day comes, the line to receive the reward is long. Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever. Amen.